believe that. And uh, we're looking at uh, these, these keys. They come from a book called uh, Treasure Principles by a guy called Randy Alcorn. And I encouraged you guys last week, if you can, get this book. It's phenomenal. Everything that we're working um, out of is from that book. And, uh, and I know it's a little bit hard to get the, the actual copy right now. I've looked at a few books, and uh, just South Africa doesn't have it. But if you are a person that reads kind of on your electronic device, then you can get it that way. And so I'd encourage you to get it. Uh, Treasure Principle, it's, it's phenomenal. It is a phenomenal book. And like I said, everything that we're working through is from that book. So it might be a good thing to have, a good tool to have, just to kind of walk through it as we navigate through this series. And so last week we looked at the first two keys. Uh, anyone remember what they were? No pressure. God, so God, God owns everything, and so we're just his money, we're just his managers. God owns everything, and we're just his managers. That was the first key. And then the second key was that your heart will follow God's money. Your heart will follow God's money. Because if we believe that God owns everything, so therefore the money that's in our bank account belongs to him. And so if we want to know where our hearts are, we should look at our bank statements. What we spend our money on normally communicates what we love the most. All right, so those were the first two keys that we looked at. And so this week, we're going to look at two further keys. Um, and so if I was to title this message this morning, I'd simply call it Investments and Pension Funds. Investments and Pension Funds. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's real, that it's active, that it's alive, that you continue to work through us and in us. And so even as we walk through this series, uh, we ask that you would uh, open up our hearts and open up our minds, uh, that we would see you for who you are, and that we would apply these principles, these simple principles, we would apply them in our lives, and that we would be faithful to you. We pray against any distractions here this morning. And so it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, that you would think through my mind, that you would speak through my mouth those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Father, we love you, we praise you, and would you show us, even through a series like this on time and talent and treasures or money and resources, through a series like this, Father God, that you would show us that we are in desperate need of you. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' beautiful, beautiful name. Amen. 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 Um, before you know, starting this church, uh, one of the conditions that my wife put in place was like, um, and she had quite a few. She was like, listen, if you're going to do this thing, I'm going to have to lay down some rules. And so one of the conditions she had put in motion was that uh, if you're going to plant a church, if you're going to uh, lead uh, this, this thing, this, this planting of this church in Pretoria, we are going to have to take two breaks in a year. We have to. We're going to have to take two breaks in a year. They can be three, four, five days, but we have to take two breaks 
in a year. And I love my wife for that because she knows that I'm the kind of guy that will just work and work and work until I'm dead, right? I never take breaks. And so she was like, listen, if we're going to venture into this, if we're going to trust God for this, then you have to take two breaks in a year. And so uh, that's what we've done ever since we've started Rooted Fellowship. Twice a year, I'll take a break. And so at the beginning of this year, we took a break. Uh, we went to Dalstrom. Anyone know Dalstrom? Ever heard of Dalstrom? Yeah, if you don't, then uh, then that might actually might be a good thing. No, but um, so Dalstrom is a small little town, uh, kind of on your way to Mpumalanga. I think it's in Mpumalanga. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a small little town. Um, my wife found a great place for us to go. We were there for five days. Um, she found this this great kind of like a guest house, but it's it's weird. It's on this property, and there's lots of little homes on the property, and uh, you know, fully furnished. And and so uh, we showed up to Dalstrom. We checked in. Uh, we put our bags down. It was I mean, it was it was great. It looked amazing. I, I was thinking we're going to the bush. Right, but it, it actually wasn't. You know, there was DSTV and Wi-Fi, and so I was comfortable. I was like, "This is good. This is good." Um, so we put our pack, our bags down. We get Amara all set up. It was a, a one and a half bedroom kind of setup, and uh, and so once we felt like, okay, like we're here. You know, we've arrived. We I think we had a cup of coffee. Uh, we then said, "Let's go into town." Right? Let's go. Let's go into town. And so we drove into town. We found an arts and crafts place. Uh, we walked in and uh, we bought, spent about 2,000 rand worth on, on, on arts and crafts, right? About 2,000 rand on arts and crafts. These are things that we felt like, man, we want to bring back to our place uh, just to feel comfortable, to make it feel like home, right? So we bought uh, some ornaments. Uh, then we bought some picture frames. So my wife had printed some pictures of the family. So we bought some picture frames and uh, we put them up on the wall with uh, uh, the pictures of, of myself and Confidence and Amara. Some of y'all with it. Some of you guys made it onto the walls of that guest house, man. And so we set it up real, real nice. And then we thought to ourselves, listen, man, um, we want to be comfortable in our beds. And so uh, we drove back into town looking for a place that sells Egyptian cotton, right? Hey, listen, man, we want to, hey, hey, this is how we roll. Um, so we went in, we found it, we, we spent the money on it. Uh, we went back to the guest house. We, we ripped off the, the duvets that were there. It wasn't good enough for us. And then uh, we put on the Egyptian cotton duvet. I mean, we set this place up nice. Nice. True story. Why, why are you guys laughing? I mean, I... You have to be up here to see this. Some of y'all are looking at me like, this guy is crazy. What is wrong with you? I mean, it's, it's, I, can see, I can see it on y'all's faces. Some of you are just going, this is the dumbest thing. I've, like, why am I even here? Like, this, someone invited me to church, and now this guy, Egyptian cotton? Like, but the one thing that's true, the one thing that you would all agree on is that, man, that just doesn't sound right. That just doesn't sound right. Why, why would you do that? Why, why would you want to, to make this place your home when you're only going to be there for a temporary season? It just, it just doesn't make sense. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. We do that. We do that. If you call yourself a Christian, if you've crossed the line of faith, if you are part of the church, if you're Jesus' bride, we do that. We treat this world as if it's the final destination. We invest in this world like it's our final destination. 
we live here as if this is the pinnacle of everything. And so because we believe that, we invest in that same way. But Scripture tells us time and time again that if you're a Christian, this is not your home. This is not your final destination. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, and I'll read to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body into, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our home. It's not our home. Scriptures uh, they refer to us as aliens. There are passages in the Bible that refer to us as an aliens. And the definition of an alien is, is belonging to a foreign country. Belonging to a foreign country. It'll use words like foreigners, aliens, sojourners, strangers, travelers. That this is not our home. But yet we treat it like it is. Jesus himself says it in John 17 verse 16. That we are in this world but we are not of this world. This is not our home. And so therefore that brings me to the third key in our series. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. That we, we hope and we long for a day where Jesus would return. We long for that day. We hope for that day that he would return. That this is just a layover. It's like traveling. And then you, you start here in Joburg and you, you're trying to get to the U.S. And so you go through London and so you have a layover in London, in Heathrow. That's what this is. That's what this is. And so it doesn't matter if you're pre-mill or post-mill or a-mill. It doesn't matter if you, you no, 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 heaven is going to come or, or whether we're going to heaven. The, the one thing that all of us can agree on is that this world is broken. This world is broken. Wherever you land on, on listen, uh, I know heaven's coming or we're going to heaven, like, like, we all agree on this truth that this world is broken. We don't have to go very far to realize that. You can pick up the newspaper, turn on the TV. This world is broken. And so as, as one who puts trust in Jesus, we long for him to come. We long for him to return, to set things right. This is not our home. And so does that, does that mean that I should then cast my life away? Does that mean that I shouldn't care about what happens here? If this is just a layover, should I not be a good steward? What are you saying? We, we Surely we must ask that question. Does this life then not matter? It does. It does matter. In fact, this life here on earth is incredibly important. Incredibly important. But what I want us to understand is that if this is true, if this, this world is not my home, if my citizenship is in heaven, what this means 
is that we are to see all the things that we have, our time, our talents, our treasures, all that we have, we are to see them in their rightful place. That's what it means, that we are to see these things in their rightful place. I'm asking you this morning to to reframe how you see your things. See, because, and this happens a lot. For a lot of us, we invest heavily here. Even though we know that this is a broken world. Even though we know that this is not home for us, we invest heavily here because we don't fully understand what awaits us. We don't fully understand what awaits us. See, for many of us, when we talk about heaven, we think, oh, we get those white gowns, and I'm going to get a really cool halo, and I'm going to get to play the harp the whole day, throughout eternity. Like, that's, that's what's in store for me. No, that's what Disney thinks heaven is. We think that heaven is boring. That this life has everything for me. So, so what awaits me, surely that'll be boring. We couldn't be further away from the truth. We will, we will be more likely to think of heaven as boring if we think of it as a disembodied state. See, but the ultimate heaven where we will live forever is defined by resurrection. And resurrection is by definition embodied. Jesus spoke of this coming renewal of all things. Peter preached of the the time of restoring of all things. We live in a broken world, and so we long for the restoration of all things. The scriptures talk about it over and over again. If we were to say that heaven would be boring, that would be the equivalent of saying God himself is boring. There is no greater nonsense Our desire for pleasure and the experience of joy come directly from God's hand. He made our taste buds, adrenaline, and the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains. Likewise, our imaginations and capacity for joy were made by God. Are we so arrogant as to imagine that human beings came up with the idea of having fun? Do you think you came up with that idea? a created being. All of it comes from God's hand. Heaven will not be boring. And if you think so, that means that you assume that sin is exciting and that righteousness is boring. And that is one of the devil's most strategic lies. See, sin doesn't bring fulfillment. It robs us of it. When there's beauty, when we see God as he truly is, an endless reservoir of fascination, boredom becomes impossible. See, God delegates rule over his creation to us, and we will reign with him over his new creation. The book of Revelation speaks of this. We will rule with Christ over this new restored creation. We'll have things to do, places to go, people to see. Heaven is guaranteed to be a thrilling adventure because Jesus is a thrilling Savior. Jesus is a thrilling, exciting Savior. 
the source of all great adventures, including those awaiting us in the, u- in the new universe. That's what heaven is. That's what awaits us. And so my question to you is, why would we settle for less? Why would we settle for less? I know that you've experienced it sometime in your life where, where you just felt like everything was aligned, where everything was perfect, where you just felt this incredible joy come over you. I know you've experienced it. And so what awaits us is eternity of that. Why would you settle for less? Why would we invest here like this is our final destination? Heaven, not earth, is our home. But let me jump to the fourth key. And you'll see they're beautifully tied together. The fourth key, if, if heaven, not earth, is our home, then don't live for the dot Live for the line. Don't live for the dot. Live for the line. The wisest man to have ever lived, King Solomon, says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He goes into this rendition where he says, you know what, there's a, there's a time for joy and a time for mourning. There's a time to plant, a time to harvest. He's just, he goes on and on and on. And then he lands the plane by saying, God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. See, what, what, what hit Solomon in that moment was like, listen, everything has a start and an end. Whether it's joy, whether it's mourning, everything has a start and an end. But the one thing that he realized is that, no, listen, because we are created in God's image, we, yes, we may have a start and a end on this earth, but God has placed eternity in us. By mere fact that you are created in his image, God has placed eternity in us. And so therefore, we should live in light of eternity. We should live in light of eternity by the mere fact that when God created us, he breathed life into us. He breathed a bit of himself into us. That we are to live for eternity. I've heard it said that there are, there are three things that will last forever. There are only three things that will last forever. It's God. And when I say God, I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They will last forever. His word, we're told time and time again in the scriptures that God's word will last forever. And then the third thing is the souls of men. The souls of men. Your soul, my soul. It will last forever. And so therefore the question, the question is, is hey man, how long are you going to live for? That's not the question. The question is, hey, where are you going to spend eternity? What are your plans for forever? Where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing? Are you going to spend it 
in, in, in the, the pleasure and the splendor of who God is. Because you've, you've given your life to Jesus. Because you've crossed the line of faith. The promise that we are given is that you're given eternal life to spend it with God. Or are you going to spend it separated from Him? Separated from everything that we've just spoken about. All the goodness that He has to offer. All the pleasure that He has to offer. Because the reality is you are going to live forever. But where? Where are you planning to spend your forever? And so if that is true, then we've got to live for the line and not for the dot. We have to live for the line for eternity and not for the dot, not for this right here and right now. And I know, I know it feels like, listen, the right here and the right now is forever. It feels like it just, it, it's not going to end. But all you have to do is just Stop going to a few funerals. And you'll quickly realize that life is short. And we're not in control of it. And so I don't want to live for the right now and the, the right here. I don't want you guys to live for that. I want you to live for eternity. I want you to have an eternal perspective. I want you to live for the line and not for the dot. And so I want to tell, I'm going to tell a few stories. I want to tell a few stories about some of my heroes that I believe who chose to live for the line and not the dot. Who chose to live with an eternal perspective and not just for the right here and the right now. And so one of the things that I, that I do every time I move into different seasons of life, I, I try to read about some people who encourage me. Many of them have, have died. Some are still alive today, but they, their lives encourage me. And so depending on where I am, what phase of life I'm in, it kind of dictates who I look to. And so some of you might know that when I uh, graduated, I, uh, I joined a campus ministry, campus outreach, a phenomenal ministry. They shaped my life. And so I was like, listen, I, I want to be a missionary in that, in that way. I want to serve God in that way. And so I started looking at, for some missionaries who had done something similar looking for encouragement, trying to see how did they live for the line and not for the dot? How did they have an eternal perspective? And so one of the guys that I found, one of the guys that encouraged me, his name is or was William Borden. I don't know if some of you guys know him, William Borden. If you follow my tweets or Facebook, you might have seen me say something about him at some point. He's known for these famous six words, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And so I wanted to share his life with you as an encouragement to say, guys, we are called to live for the line. We're called to have an eternal perspective and, and not to invest as if this is our final destination. I thought I'd love to share his life with you. And I was like trying to figure out how am I going to do this? Because, man, just his whole life is amazing. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read it to you. I'm not going to try to summarize it because I won't do a good job of it. So I'm just going to read you his life. And it'll be up on the screen so you can follow with me. In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school. As heir to the Borden family fortune, he was already wealthy. 
For his high school graduation present, his parents gave 16-year-old Borden a trip around the world. As a young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Finally, Bill Borden wrote home about his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed disbelief that Bill was throwing himself away as a missionary. In response, Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. Even though young Borden was wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905 trying to look like just one more freshman. Very quickly, however, Borden's classmates noticed something unusual about him, and it wasn't that he had lots of money. One of them wrote, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ and had really done it. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was solid as a rock just because of this settled purpose and consecration. During his first semester at Yale, Borden started something that would transform campus life. One of his friends described how it began. It was well on his first term when Bill and I began to pray together in the morning before breakfast. I cannot say positively whose suggestion it was, but I feel sure it must have originated with Bill. We've been meeting only a short time when a third student joined us, and soon after a fourth. The time was spent in prayer after a brief reading of Scripture. Bill's handling of Scripture was helpful. He would read to us from the Bible, show us something that God had promised, and then proceed to claim that promise with assurance. One small morning prayer group gave birth to a movement that soon spread across the campus. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. By the time Bill Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. This is a man who had an eternal perspective. He had everything to live for in this life, but had set his heart and mind on the line. Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus. He cared about widows and orphans and the disabled. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven to try to rehabilitate them. He founded the Yale Hope Mission. Borden's missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kansu people in China. Once he fixed his eyes on that goal, Borden never wavered. He also challenged his classmates to consider missionary service. One of them said to him, he certainly was the strongest, one of the strongest characters I'd ever known. And he put a backbone into the rest of us at college. There was real iron in him. And I always felt he was one of the stuff of martyrs were made of. And a heroic missionary of, modern, of more modern times. Although he was a millionaire, Bill seemed to, realize, seemed to realize always that he must be about his father's business. And not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. In his Bible, he wrote two more words. No retreats. William Borden went on to do graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. When he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China. Because he was hoping to work with Muslims, he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When the news of William Whiten Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself 
in a way so joyous and natural, it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. This is a man who lived with eternity in mind. Was Borden's untimely death a waste? Not in God's perspective. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. They, they reckon this is probably when he was sick, lying on his bed. Underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written, no regrets. His life deeply encourages me. Because this is a man who had been bitten by the gospel. It had taken hold of everything. This is a man who was like, you know what, I understand that I am in desperate need of a savior. And not just me, but everyone around me. That they, they need to know of this Jesus who gives life and life to the full. And so he chose to give his life to that. With eternity in mind. I know many may look at that life and go, 25? Seems like a wasted life. There could have been more. He could have done more. And that's probably true. But for William, at the age of 25, with eternity in mind, had done more than most people who lived to 60. More people had heard of Jesus, had heard of the gospel because of his sacrifice that he, he looked at and said, no, this is a privilege. He looked at his time and talents and treasures and said, you know what, I want to use this. I want to use this for the kingdom of God. I want to have eternity in mind. In the book Treasure Principle, Randy talks a lot about William. In one chapter, he actually uh, compares William Borden's life to, uh, to King Tutankhamun's life. See, Randy tells of a story when he was in Egypt with his family and uh, wanted to go see where, where William had been buried, right? He knew of the story, he knew of the man, and so he's like, I want to go see where he's buried. And so he plans this trip, but then someone tells him, listen, it might be really, really cool for you to go see this. So directly after seeing that, go see King Tutankhamun's grave where he was buried. He was told that that would put a lot into perspective. See, King Tutankhamun, a.k.a. King Tut, the boy king, was only 17 when he died. He was buried with solid gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts. His gold coffin was found within the gold tombs, within gold tombs. The burial site was filled with tons of gold. You guys get the point. This guy was buried in gold. See, the Egyptians believed in an afterlife, one where they could take earthly treasures. But all the treasures intended for King Tut, for his eternal enjoyment, stayed right where they were until Howard Carter, some random guy, discovered the burial cham chamber in 1922. They hadn't been touched for more than 3,000 years. So this is what... Randy says about this, after leaving William's grave, which was in some alley, I mean, like they, they had to look to find it. 
after leaving William's grave and then going to King Tut's grave, this is what he writes. I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure, dusty, and hidden off the back of some alley. Tutankhamun's tomb glittered with unimaginable wealth. Where are these two young men now? One who lived in wealth and called himself king is in the misery of a Christless eternity. The other, who lived a modest life on earth in the service of the one true king, is enjoying his everlasting reward in the presence of his Lord. Which story do you want? How do you want to be remembered? See, Toots, life was, a tra- was tragic because of an awful truth discovered too late. He couldn't take his treasures with him. He couldn't take his treasures with him. William Borden's life was triumphant. Why? Because instead of leaving behind his treasures, he sent them on ahead. He sent them on ahead. William's life continued to echo. Because he stood before God and he said, listen, I want my life to matter, not just in this time, but even long after I'm gone. And so I'm going to send my time and talents and treasures on ahead so that others might hear of the the great news of the gospel. So others might come into a relationship with Jesus so that they too may hold on to this hope and await a time where all this brokenness that we see would be restored. When you die, does your life echo into eternity? Will it? Or will the light just go out? Will the light just go out? And maybe you'll remember, be remembered for 20, 30, 40 years, maybe. But even as I stand here, I know that my great, great, great grandkids won't know who I am. But I hope that they would be able to stand in a community who loves Jesus and go, you know what, I, I may not know who Ona was. No one speaks of him. But there's this beautiful truth that, listen, he sent it on ahead. He took his time, his talents, and his treasures, and he sent them on ahead so that we might be in a position to hear of the great news of the gospel. Would that be said of you? So what does that look like? Somewhat obvious. What does that look like? It means that you, you take your time. Remember, that it doesn't actually belong to you. It belongs to God. So you take that time that he's given you, however short or long it is. It means you take your talents that are not yours. We saw last week that, that it's his power that allows us to be talented and to have the gifts that we have. So you take those talents. You take your treasures, whatever resources you have, and you say, God, how, how can I use this to your glory? How can I use this so that I have an eternal perspective? And hear this, it's, it's not an option. It's not your time or your talents or your treasures. 
It's like, you know what, God, no, no, my time is mine. Um, but you can have my talents, but my time is mine. No, no, no. That's not how it works. It's your time and your talents and your treasures because none of it belongs to you anyway. And then to say to God, how can I use it? How can I use it for the sake of your kingdom? I told you about a campus ministry that I worked for. Uh, I came to faith uh, in my second year of university. And then I got plugged into this campus ministry. In fact, we have two amazing people who still work for it uh, with us this morning. And, um, and so when I graduated, I was like, Lord, I want to use my time and my talents and my treasures so that others on the campus may hear of the good news of the gospel, so that others on campus can be discipled the way I was discipled. You see, I don't, I don't believe that I would, would hold on to this blessing. We're not called to do that. See, many of us, we, we think, oh, God has blessed me, and so I'm just going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold tight. That's not how blessing works. It's meant to flow. It's meant to flow. And so not only did I decide this, I'm going to go and work for them for four years. But even after I left, my wife and I were like, listen, we want to continue. We want to continue to be a blessing to them. We want to use our time and talents and treasures in whatever shape or form to make sure that the gospel will still be heard on the campus. In the same way that my life was transformed, that others would be as well. That's what we did. I don't know what it is for you. I've heard many of you talk about Rooted Fellowship, how encouraging it's been. Man, I, I love this church. I've been praying for a church like this. God's done so much work in my life through this church. And it's not me. I'll be the first person to tell you, it's not me. I'm not that amazing. My wife will be the first person to tell you that. It's all of you. It's all of you. We are the church. And so I hear so many of you say, listen, man, I, lo I love this church. It's amazing. It's been such a blessing to me. No secret, eh? We're talking about money, so no secret. So, so maybe, maybe for you it means that you generously give. You're not giving to me. You're giving so that more people would hear of this community and communities like this. And that they too would come and go, you know what, I, I love it here. I love it here because God is doing a phenomenal work here. Maybe it means you generously give so that we might be able to send others to go start other churches. So other people might hear of the gospel and be a part of an amazing community. That's why we partner up with Sbu. That's why we get behind him. We as a church get behind him because we listen, God is doing a phenomenal work here and we want to see him do it in Mamilodi as well. We as a church are going to use our time and talents and treasures with an eternal perspective. Because I don't know how long God will have rooted here. 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, I don't know. But I want us to be remembered as a people who said, you know what, we had an eternal perspective. We lived for the line and not for the dot. And the only way, the only way that we'll do this is to believe that heaven, not earth, is our home. And then the implication of that is, is to live for the line and not for the dot. 
So what do these keys have to do with a sermon titled Investments and Pension Funds? Right? Some of you are sitting here going, man, I'm still stuck on the investments and pension funds. Is he going to like, help me with my portfolio? Like, what's, what, 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 what do these keys have to do with that? See, for many of us, we have investments. As middle-class South Africans, many of us on the app, we have investments. Many of us have pension funds. Some of us swear by them. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Those are good things to have. But I want you to know that we are not made. We are not made of the accumulation of our stuff. That is not who we are. We are not the sum total of all the resources that we have. We are not made to live in this world as if it's our permanent residence. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. It's titled, The the Parable of a Rich Fool. Verse 13 says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. How, how, like, how amazing is that? Like, so I often read the Bible, and I'll read it, and I'll be like, wait, what? This guy was bold. So Jesus is there teaching, just hanging out like he normally does. And then some guy just rolls up and says, Jesus, I want you to tell my brother, tell my brother to give me half. <laughs> Jesus, I'm sure Jesus is like, I, I, I don't even know who you are, bro. Like, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want to pause there. Guys, we're not the sum total of our stuff. And so what many of us will do is uh, we'll, we'll look over the fence to see what does my neighbor have? What does my neighbor have? We, and I love this about our culture, we, we're uncomfortable when we talk about money. And, and so uncomfortable that, that we'll, we'll share our deepest, darkest secrets with one another. We'll get in community groups and we'll go, man, I want you to know my struggle Man, I, man I, I struggle with lust. Man, I, I, I struggle with gossip. Like, I, I just, I need to be accepted. We will go deep with people. And then when someone says, so how much money do you make? Yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I told you, I know I told you about my lust issues, but I, I don't know if we're that close. But the way we handle our money in some degree, we actually are telling people how much money we make. The cars that we buy and the houses that we live in and the things that we spend, we're, we're in, in some way we're going, hey, I just want you to know this is how much I make. <laughs> Jesus says, take care and be on your guard. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Let me contextualize it for 2016. Uh, This brother has tons and tons of cash. He's like, I don't know where I'm going to invest anymore. Where should I put my money? 
You know, Stanham Bank can't hold what I have. So, so maybe I should look to Nedbank. Maybe I should look to uh, FMB, APSA. Maybe I should diversify. What should I do? I got so much money. And he said, what will I do with this? I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. That's what I'll do. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Live the good life. I've invested well. My pension fund looks good. Because I I believe that I'm the sum total of my stuff. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus is saying, church, don't be foolish. Are we to plan? Yes. Are we to invest? Yes. Are we to save? Absolutely. Some of y'all are phenomenal at that and we need to learn from you. But we're not to invest as if this is our home, that we are the sum total of these things. We're not to find our identity in these things. Be on your guard of all types of greed. Be on guard. I'm asking you to reframe how you think about your stuff. If you want a takeaway, that's the takeaway. I'm I'm asking you to reframe, to, to rethink, to restructure how you think about your stuff. And if you're not generously giving of your time and your talents and your treasures, and I'm not saying to Rooted Fellowship, but I'll say it, I'd love for y'all to give to Rooted Fellowship. But you can give. You can give to other kingdom things, other ministries that are out there. If you're not generously giving because you're saving and buying for yourself, then my question to you is, where is your home? Christian, where is your home? Follower of Jesus, where is your home? If all your time, talents, and treasure goes towards accumulating things of this world instead of aiding in sending the gospel forward, then where does your hope really lie? We should live with an eternal perspective, especially in how we engage our possessions. Why, why are we to do this? And I'll, I'll, I'll close on this. Why, why are we to do this? Why are we to generously give? Why are we to think with an eternal perspective? Why does all of this matter? Why? Because God did not hold on to his riches. God did not hold on to his riches. He, he didn't stack up his goodness and go, look, look at all that I have. He didn't do that but rather he generously poured it out on us. He generously poured it out on us. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Abundantly, along with faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. Why, why do we generously give away of our time and our talents and our treasures because Jesus gave himself to us generously. That's what happened on the cross. 
rich in grace and in goodness and in love and in mercy. He poured it out on us so that we might be reconciled back to the Father, so that we might await this day where He would restore all things and so that we might enjoy Him forever. And if you're sitting here and you're going, I've experienced that grace. I've experienced the good news of the gospel. I want you to know that's because someone sent it on ahead so that you might enjoy it. And I'm calling you to send it on ahead so that someone else might enjoy it. And that there's coming a day where where we're going to, in heaven, we're going to stand in heaven. This is not in the scriptures, but one of my my favorite preachers says it like this. We're going to stand in heaven like this. And each one is going to stand up and they're going to go, this is what he did. Talking about Jesus Christ, this is what he did. 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 Praise be to God. And all of heaven will praise him. And then the next person will stand up and go, this is what he did. This is what he did. This is what he did. Praise be to him. And all of heaven will praise the Father. And as we're hearing those stories, the dots will begin to connect. Because we'll sit and we'll go, hey, I was a product of that. And I was a product of that. And that happened because of that group of people. Oh my goodness, we are, we are beautifully connected. We are beautifully and uniquely connected. And that's because God generously gave us. We are to turn and do likewise. Because this is not our home. We're living for the line and not the dot because this is not our home. Let's pray. And so, Father, we we can sometimes think that these are these are difficult truths to wrap our minds and hearts around, but but as we navigate through the series, we we realize that these are these are actually quite simple. The challenge is allowing our hearts to believe them. It's being faithful to what you've called us to. That we're not to find our identity in anything in this world. It'll never be enough. It'll never sustain us. It'll never give us the joy that you say only you can give us. And so, Father, as as we think on these things, I... I'm asking and I'm pleading with you that you would make us mature. Mature enough to know that this is not our home. That yes, we're called to be good stewards of everything that you've given us because it belongs to you. We're just your managers. But this is not our home. Rather, we look to a day where there will be no more weeping, no more hurting, no more pain, No more frustrations, no more anxiety, but rather just joy and and joy to the full. And not only do I long for that, but I long for others to know of this, of this beautiful truth. Even as I'm praying, I think of many of my friends and family who don't know you, who believe that this is it, that this is the final destination. Father, I'm asking that you would use me by your grace 
to show them and to point them to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that they might see that there's something far better to live for. And that is you, Jesus. Heaven, not earth, is our home. Help us to live for the line and not the dot. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.